it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Hey, do you have trouble sleeping? Then maybe you should check out The Sleepy Podcast. It's a show where I read old books in the public domain to help you get to sleep. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. It was the age of classic stories like A Tale of Two Cities, Pride and Prejudice, Winnie the Pooh, stories that are great for adults and kids alike. For years now, Sleepy has helped millions of people catch some much-needed Z's, start their next day off fresh, and discover old books that they didn't know they loved. So, whether you have a tough time snoozing or you just like a good bedtime story, fluff up the cool side of your pillow and tune into Sleepy. Unless you're driving, then please don't listen to Sleepy. Find Sleepy on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes each week. Sweet dreams. love this podcast because it crushes your dreams of getting rich quick. They actually got me into reading stats for anything. You're tuned in to the Investing for Beginners podcast. Led by Andrew Sather and Dave Ahern. Step-by-step premium investing guidance for beginners. Your path to financial freedom starts now. Starts now. All right, folks, well, welcome to Investing for Beginners podcast. This is episode 173. Tonight, Andrew and I are going to talk about REITs. Uh, it stands for Real Estate Investment Trusts. And we're going to talk a little bit about them and how you can invest in real estate using these kinds of vehicles. So uh, without any further ado, I'm going to turn it over to Andrew. We're going to go ahead and start, and then we'll just go ahead and do our little give and take. So Andrew, why don't you tell us your thoughts about REITs? I'm really excited to talk about REITs and actually just to have you talk about REITs because you've been, you dove super deep into this, this topic and, um, have based on our conversations, you've definitely achieved a, a decent circle of competence on it. And I think it would be very helpful for investors for you to share some of that knowledge, particularly when you look at the landscape we have today and some of the opportunities that are out there. You, you mentioned the words real estate, and I'm sure that that probably triggers alarm bells with a lot of people. You know, how could you, how could you say you you feel positive about real estate in in the midst of a pandemic and global depression? But you know, I've I've talked about on the e leather, I think occasionally on the show. I know we've had discussions about Dave how the economic recovery has been really different, and personally, I mentioned months ago how higher income workers were 
we're not only doing just fine from a employment standpoint, income standpoint, but they're actually doing quite well. And then you had the lower income that were disproportionately affected by the pandemic, job losses, income loss, all of those sorts of things. And you know, we have the the presidential debates going on and and you know there's there's talks of of the K-shaped recovery. So, you know, the, it's not a foreign concept anymore. And I think when you think about real estate today and, and where the opportunities are, it it it's it's very dependent on you can't paint it in a broad brush like you would the economy. You don't want to paint that in a broad brush either. There's going to be K parts that maybe parts of real estate will do really well in the coming months and, and parts will continue to struggle regardless of what happens with a vaccine or not. And so maybe you can start by introducing the certain types of REITs because I think that's interesting how there can be specializations within the REITs and maybe why you yourself personally, maybe start there, why you are excited about REITs in general right now. Sure. So I think let's start, I guess, with some of the basics and I'll talk a little bit about the types of of companies. So REITs, as I mentioned in the intro, stands for it's an acronym for real estate investment trusts. And really what those are are those are businesses that own different types of real estate. And they can range from everything from healthcare owning retirement homes to skilled nursing facilities to apartment complexes to malls. Uh, to storage spaces, uh, even data warehouses, uh, you name it. There's there's a REIT that that allows you to invest in it. And the cool thing about REITs is it allows you to invest in an asset class of real estate without actually having to go through a lot of the drama and headache and stress of actually buying real estate. For example, if you wanted to, I don't know, buy a building, for example, or buy some land, you have to go through the process of finding the place or space that you want to purchase. Then you have to negotiate a price. And then you have to go through the, all the fun of going through the approval process to qualify to buy the land. So you have to be able to borrow the money if you don't have the cash to do it. So those are all kinds of fun uh, obstacles that you can go through to invest in real estate. Now, for me, one personally, that's not something I personally care to put myself through. There's gazillions of people that do and more power to them. And I'm not here to bash those people by any stretch of the imagination. It's just not for me. So and along with that, then you have the aspect of liquidity. So for example, when you're buying a property it's generally a drawn out process. And when you want to sell it, it's an even more drawn out process, especially depending on the location and what's going on with the economy at the time, like you mentioned at the beginning. So there's all those aspects. When you're investing in a REIT, you're in, in essence, you're buying a stock, just like you buy a Microsoft, an Apple, or a Facebook. It's the exact same process. You go online, you find a company that you're interested in, you do your research, and then you pull the trigger and you buy a company. Now you own a stock, but you also own real estate. So those are kind of the, I guess the, the over overarching basics of, of how the REIT works and, and I guess how you would start investing in it. Now, as I mentioned, 
when I started talking about this, there are a myriad of different kinds of companies out there, which is, which is kind of, kind of exciting actually. And it also gives you lots of opportunity to not only diversify into different types of real estate, it also gives you the opportunity to find gems, if you will. So there are companies out there that overall the REIT industry since the pandemic took place was beaten down pretty hard. And in large part, a lot of it had to do with the fact that these businesses that people were investing in were having to shutter their businesses, in some cases for several months, in some cases for permanently. It just kind of depended on what kind of business you were investing in. So if you were buying something that was investing in malls, for example, depending on where you were in the country, some of those businesses may have been shut down for a few months or may still be shut down. Uh, if you were investing in companies that invested in, for example, movie theaters, then, then you're really going to be hit hard because even though the movie theaters have reopened, their capacity is, is greatly reduced. Uh, some of them, as a matter of fact, just announced the other day that they're going to reshut down because there's not enough movies out there and people aren't coming out to see movies, understandably with everything going on. So, there's a wide range of things, but among those opportunities, there's also other businesses that have actually done quite well during the whole pandemic and have been able to thrive through this whole period, but the prices are still depressed because the overall market sees real estate as a possible bad investment. Now, without getting into all the ins and outs of actually buying real estate versus a REIT, if you think about how REITs work and how they function, the majority of their income they gather through collecting rents from the businesses that they rent to that come to them and want to have a space. So when you look at, for example, a mall, it's probably the easiest thing for people to, to kind of visualize. When you think of, of your local mall, wherever that may be, all those different businesses are renting that space from the landlord. Well, the landlord is actually the, the company that owns the building, which is the REIT. And so when Dillard's or Macy's or any of those huge anchor tenants are renting spaces, they're renting it from the REIT and they're paying them rent to rent that space, to use it for their general purposes, whatever that may be. Now, when the malls in particular is another good example. When they went through the beginnings of the pandemic and everything was shutting down, the malls were obviously very large spaces where lots of people would congregate. And that became one of the first places that we decided to close because it would be bad for the spread of the disease, which is obviously a very logical thing to do. Well, when that happened, then all of a sudden the REITs now, they can't collect their revenue because they can't collect their rents. And so Wall Street, coincidingly, also proceeds to sell off anything remotely re uh, connected to REITs. But the flip side of that is that you had REITs that also own uh, healthcare facilities. And those were all full because <laughs> people were sick and people were going to the doctor. People still go to the doctor and they were able to collect all the rents. And so they're humming along just fine, but their prices all got smashed down along with everything else. And so that is, I guess, the beginnings of why I started getting interested in this, because as I've been working on 
the project that you and I have been working on with the the newsletter that I've been starting to put out, uh, one of the things I wanted to do was look at different asset classes to try to start to expand not only the portfolio, but also my knowledge about these. And real estate is something that I've always sort of had an interest in, but was never really interested in actually going the full nine yards and buying a property and going through that, the whole, you know, buying a house and flipping it and that whole business. That was something I was never interested in. But REITs have always been something that I thought might be a way to get my foot in in real estate without having to go through the other stress and trouble. And so I started doing all this research for me personally, but also to help the people that are, are following along with what I'm trying to do. So uh, that's kind of where this all started. And that's why I'm excited about it, because I think this is an opportunity to get into an asset class that is going to recover. The thing about REITs that I've learned is that they generally lag the recovery of the economy. And generally, it could be anywhere from a couple of months to a, a year or so. But in that time, there are going to be opportunities of companies that have been beaten down that will recover over time. And that gives us, you know, the opportunity to find things that are undervalued, which is as a value investor is always like, hee hee, yeah, yahoo. So anyway, that's my thought. I love that. That's a, that's a great breakdown. I think it really paints a picture of, of where we're at today and where the opportunity is. So from a basic level, you know, when I look at where the REITs are standing right now, if you if you take them through a screener or some other tool online, you'll see their yields are very very high. So maybe talk about the dividends and why that's critical for REITs and why why are those yields so high? Yeah, that's a great question. So one of the things that attracts most of investors to REITs uh, right away, besides the opportunity to invest in real estate, is the dividends. So the way REITs work are they have to pay at least ninety percent of their earnings as a dividend. It's part of the structure that allows them to not have to pay uh, income taxes on the money that they earn. And it's a legal way that the entity is set up that the government established uh, quite a while ago. And it allows the REITs to, in I guess, in exchange for not paying taxes, they have to give the majority of their money back to, to the shareholders. And the way they do that is via a dividend. And it has to be at least 90% of their earnings. So generally, the yields that you're going to see on dividends, depending on what's going on with the, the prices, you're going to see a range between 45 to 10%. Uh, it's not unusual to see, see it in double digits at all. Uh, some of the ones that I've been looking at have been in the high sevens to mid eights uh, as far as yields go. So they're, it's, they're, quite attractive in that regard. Uh, they're also, uh, they also have the tax advantage in that they don't have to be, uh, you can buy a REIT in a normal taxable uh, brokerage account and not pay taxes on the dividends because of the way that they're structured, which is kind of nice. Uh, so they, uh, they have some tax benefits as well. And that's really kind of, I guess, the main attractor to most people is the dividend yields. And they're great for, you can either use them as as a, a drip like Andrew and I like to do. So you reinvest those back into the company or uh, for people that are looking for income, they're great income because, because the yields are so high. Uh, it's a great way to generate income for income investors that are, that are looking for that kind of income. And 
generally they're a lot higher than bonds. Yes, they're riskier than bonds, but the returns are are much, much higher than, than bonds are. So that's another attractor, I guess, to a REIT. What's the best way to get started in the market? Download Andrew's ebook for free at stockmarketpdf.com. You know, um, as an example for the stock market, the S&P 500, they say the average over 100 plus years is 10% returns, 7% or so comes from share price appreciation, 3% comes from dividend yield and that reinvestment generally over time, very long time period, right? Obviously, REITs are a lot newer. So maybe talk about the the short history of REITs and if there's any data at all that you've come across as far as how they performed or, you know, you mentioned how they, they kind of lag economic recoveries. Can you add any more color to, to those parts? Yeah. So the, the returns on REITs over, I guess the last 20 years has been 10.92%. Uh, and I got that number from, uh, a website called, uh, NAREIT. It's, uh, Nas- National Association of REIT Real Estate Investment Trusts. It's, uh, basically a website that is, was created when REITs were created and it tracks all kinds of data about REITs. And so you can see the returns overall of the sector as well as different uh, ETFs that were set up to track the whole sector as, as a whole. And you can also see individual information about particular individual REITs as well. And so it is, it is, uh, since the formation of REITs, I believe it was in 1992, but don't hold me to that. Uh, it was the return though has been 10.92% since, uh, REITs were established, which I think, I believe the S&P was a little over 10%. So overall, the sector has actually done better than the S&P over that same time period. Uh, what percentage is share appreciation versus dividends? I, I honestly don't know the answer to that. Uh, I could find out if somebody really wants to know, but uh, that I do know that that's what the return has been. Yeah, I mean, it's such a short period of time. I'm sure that component will change as we go through different bearable markets. I mean, the big takeaway for me is such a new investment vehicle. Part of the f- reason why it could be so undervalued is because it's just not been around that long. So people aren't thinking of it, but you know, there's some of these in the S and P too, right? Oh yes. Uh, there's, I believe there's about 50 of them in the S and P. Uh, there's 243 total REITs available on the market, uh, for you to invest in. And like I said, there, there's, there's a myriad of different kinds of, of businesses. Uh, there are different types of, uh, REITs that you can invest in from diversified REITs, which basically means that they'll have multiple different kinds of businesses under their umbrella. They may have apartment complexes and they may have malls and they may have, uh, warehouses, uh, there. So there's that kinds of stuff. There's even REITs that invest in timber, uh, that buy timberland and they process the wood and sell it to lumber wholesalers. Uh, so, you know, there's, there's just so many different kinds of opportunities. Like I mentioned, there's healthcare, there's uh, warehouses, there's data REITs, there are public storage REITs. There's just so many different kinds of sectors. And generally, by and large, uh, when you're looking at, uh, we mentioned the, the screening process, when you're looking at, at REITs, 
a lot of the same metrics that you would want to look at are, are going to apply, but some other things are not going to apply. So some of the, uh, the scariness I think of, of REITs is people look at REITs and they think about how leveraged they are. And by and large, they are more leveraged than you're going to see in the average S&P 500 company. So when you look at a REIT, let's say I'll, I'll pick a really popular one, a, a big name, uh, Federal Realty, which is a, a dividend king. They've been paying a dividend for 51 years now. And it's a pretty good size REIT and they carry a fair amount of debt. Now, because dividend, or I'm sorry, because REITs pay the majority of their cash flow or their earnings as a dividend, they don't generally have a lot of money laying around to do a lot of growth. And so the way that REITs grow is by acquiring new spaces. And so depending on what their business is, what they do is they they find different opportunities and they either build them out themselves or they or they buy them. And they have two I guess main ways of going through that process. Uh, one is to issue equity. In other words, they sell shares of their company on the open market and they, they generate income. They raise money by doing that. The other way that they do that is they, they give out debt or they issue a bond, uh, offerings to raise money. And that's how they raise money. Now, the thing about the debt with REITs is if you just look at a, at a debt to equity of a REIT and compare that to, I don't know, Apple, you're going to, you're going to pass out. But the bigger issue when you're looking at debt for REITs is to look at how it's structured and when it is due. Generally, a lot of the REITs will try to stagger their debt based on the length of the leases that they have on their properties. And every REIT that you come across is going to have different lengths of leases. So, for example, let's think about an apartment REIT. Most of us who live in apartments, we know that we can rent for, depending on where you are and what you're trying to do, you can, a, a normal lease is six months to 12 months. And so if you're looking at debt for those kinds of businesses, it would be shorter term debt. And as if you're looking at something like a healthcare REIT, those have longer leases generally are anywhere from 10 to 15 years. They're going to structure their debt to be longer periods like that. And so when you're looking at a debt of a REIT, for example, when you're analyzing a company, you're trying to decide is this something I want to buy or not, and you're worried about the debt that they have, really what you want to look at is not necessarily just the overall number, which is important to look at, but it's also important to look at when this money is coming due. And so, for example, there was a REIT that I was looking at the other day that their debt, they had, they had debt, but it wasn't exorbitant. But the other cool thing about it was, is none of it was, none of it was going to be coming due until 2023. So they were basically looking at three years of cash flow of the ability to be able to use money to pay down debt, to invest in other properties and go out and borrow more money to buy more properties. And so all those things were kind of exciting because you see that the way that they're structuring it gives them more flexibility. And there was other REITs I was looking at, for example, that they had a ton of debt coming due in a very short period of time, and they were struggling trying to generate revenues from the rents that they're collecting because the businesses were struggling to recover from the pandemic. And so that was 
a bigger burden for them. So those are some things that I guess as we're looking at REITs are, are things to think about. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to Nerd Wallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before Nerd Wallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Budgeting was always a challenge for me. I struggled to find the best way to keep track of all of my money, not to mention all the time tracking down receipts, cataloging expenses, and trying to figure out what went wrong with my air quote system until Monarch Money. Monarch Money allowed me to easily see what is going on with my finances, helping me get a better handle on my spending, budgets, and more. It's my go-to app every day, more so than my bank, because I can quickly see where I am with my budgets and spending, allowing me to invest more and spend time on the things that I want to do. It's my GPS for money. Monarch is a top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all of your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com beginners. Unlike other personal finance apps, Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it so easy to set up, customize, and use. Monarch has built-in features to collaborate with your partner, family, or financial advisor. Invite them to your account at no extra cost, and they'll get their own login info and a joint view of all of your finances. Monarch is the most customizable budgeting app. Change the layout of your dashboard, toggle between light and dark mode, create custom budgets and notifications, set up automatic rules for transactions and notifications, and more. In fact, Monarch Money is one of the first to bring you direct Apple Card, Apple Cash, and savings syncing with the latest iOS 17.4 update. Now you can sync your wallet directly for seamless budgeting. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's a top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com beginners. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com beginners for your extended 30-day free trial. Let's be honest here. Your sex life is important. It helps us feel more confident and boosts our happiness. But sometimes we struggle to perform, our life gets in the way. This is where Hymns can help. With their convenient and discreet online platform, you can get help for your erectile dysfunction from the comfort and privacy of your own home. No more waiting rooms, no more awkward conversations, just a simple, direct path to treatment that works around your life, not interrupts it. Invest in your health today. Hims is changing men's healthcare by providing access to affordable sexual health treatments from the comfort of your couch. Hims provides access to doctor-trusted ED treatment options such as chewable hard mints, brand name treatments like Viagra, or generic alternatives for up to 95% cheaper. The process is simple and 100% online, no uncomfortable doctor visits. Answer a series of questions on their site, and a medical provider will determine the right treatment option. If prescribed, your medication ships to you free. No insurance is needed. 
If ED is getting you down, it's time you join the hundreds of thousands of trusted HIMSS subscribers and get treated. Start your free online visit today at hymns.com slash investing. That's H-I-M-S dot com slash investing for your personalized ED treatment options. Hymns.com slash investing. Hard mints are chewable compounded products which are not approved by or verified for safety and effectiveness by the FDA. Prescriptions require an online consultation with a healthcare provider who will determine if appropriate. Restrictions apply. See website for details and important safety information. Subscription required. Price varies based on product and subscription plan. Yeah, those are two great examples of the, the contrasting differences that you can have. And it sounds like two takeaways I have. One, this any sort of REIT could be a fantastic opportunity to try to invest based on the theme of low interest rates. If you think low interest rates will continue, then obviously that's very bullish for REITs who are dependent on this debt. And two, you know, it, it seems, especially based on that example of you're talking about one company with no debt due for the next three years and another company with not only a lot of debt due, but revenue issues now is it, it seems like you need to be very fluent in, in how the debt obligations work and, and how they would affect any REIT you're looking at. Now, you know, you mentioned the debt, we mentioned the dividend. As you were looking through this, is there anything that you can look back on now and say, for somebody who's maybe more green or, or looking at these for the first time, have you come across something where you're like, ooh, that could be a potential value trap and you know, maybe now that you have more knowledge about the industry, you would be able to parlay some of that knowledge to somebody else to kind of avoid a situation like that. Yeah, I think uh, I, I, that's obviously a great thing to look at. And I, I think the biggest, the two biggest issues are looking at how the how the data structure, like we talked about, though that's a big one to look at the leverage basically that the company has. And the other thing to look at is how the leases are structured and the businesses that are tied in with the particular REIT and thinking about the long-term prospects for those types of businesses. And I'll use an example. So when you're thinking about malls and you think about retail, one of the things that retail has really struggled with is the online presence of Amazon. And now Walmart and Target and some of the other big names have really stepped up their internet game and have put a real big crimp in foot traffic of malls in particular. And when we hear about these bankruptcies that have been going on for the last six to eight months, a fair amount of them have been in bigger, uh, I guess, the bigger anchors of the malls. And the thing about uh, malls that I really didn't think about, the re- the importance of those anchors in a mall, for example, was it brought foot traffic. It wasn't necessarily that Macy's was selling that much more than some of the other smaller stores in the mall. The bigger issue is that it brought in foot traffic to the mall. And as a general rule, because I don't know if kids have changed since I was a kid, but when I was a kid, we would go to the mall and we'd be there all day and you'd shop and you do all this stuff. But what drove a lot of us there were things like movie theaters and the food court and the big stores that we maybe, you know, I grew up in Des Moines, Iowa. So 
growing up in a place like Des Moines, we didn't have a lot of the big fancy stores that somebody like lives in Los Angeles, hint, hint, would have had. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, we had different opportunities. So anyway, when a place like Macy's or Nordstrom's or Dillard's or, or JCPenney, when those big anchors start to struggle in the malls, that's going to affect the overall foot traffic of the mall, which is going to filter down into the smaller stores that are in the malls. And so when we read about some of these, uh, some of these other retailers like uh, Lord and Taylor and J Jill and, I'm just blanking on all of them, but there's been a lot of them recently. Brooks Brothers. Brooks Brothers, another great example. When some of those that are big names, but maybe not as big as a Macy's or a JCPenney, when when the big ones start to suffer, the little ones are going to suffer because the foot traffic is not going to be there. And when the foot traffic is not there, that means that those people are coming to those malls to buy those products from those other retailers as much. And it all kind of goes hand in hand. So when you're looking at the possibility of investing in something like that, you have to think beyond just the financials of the company. You also have to think about what the entities are in that particular business and how they're being impacted by all the different various scenarios and uh, situations that that may be happening in the world and so that's why looking at malls for example uh, the prices of them are very very depressed but they're also struggling to collect rents and there's also a lot of worry about what's really going to happen with the malls and the anchors and some of the things that are happening with that. And there was lots of discussion uh, with JCPenney recently about Amazon buying some of those properties to use as uh, warehousing opportunities for Amazon. Whether or not that's actually going to come to pass, I who knows. But would that necessarily save the malls? I don't know that it will. And so that's where some of this, I guess, intuition and guesswork come into just like anything else. When you're trying to invest, you have to try to think about all the different possibilities and how it could impact things. So sometimes it doesn't have to just be about numbers and getting into the the nitty gritty of things. It's also looking at some of the other economic impacts of some of the the other things that are happening in a particular industry or sector that can have an impact as well. That's yeah, that's such a perfect answer. And I think that that really equips us with, you know, the kinds of thoughts that we need to be thinking about and the things we need to focus on as we analyze REITs and, and look for good investments. Now I know you recommended a REIT in your upcoming newsletter, which is going to be released next week. Uh, should be live by the time our podcast episode goes live, I think. But, you know, without giving away the stock pick, can you talk about... So I, I, get, I got the early access, right? So I, I got to read what you wrote about this particular REIT. And um, I was really impressed with how you talked about their competitive advantage and how it, it was inherent with the way their business model was in how they brought revenues. So maybe without saying what the stock is outright or giving away the stock pick, can you talk about how this particular stock has such a great competitive advantage and maybe that can serve as a model example for other types of REITs that could have competitive advantages as well? Yeah, yeah, that's that's a great point. So I think the... 
a couple things when I think about the particular REIT that, I, that I'm recommending is the biggest issue that I guess they they have as an advantage is they they operate in in a healthcare sector and their particular niche in the healthcare sector is one that is growing by leaps and, and bounds and they shared information in their financials as well as their uh, earnings calls and things of that nature about the opportunity they they have to grow not only now and next year, but for the next 30 or 40 years. And because our population is aging and there are, uh, we're living longer and we're also more of us are getting older. That means that there's going to be more opportunities for this particular type of read because that's kind of an area that they cater to. And when they showed a map in one of their uh, financials that showed all the different areas where they're located that are in vast need of their services. And it's not just for now, it's for the next 20 or 30 years based on the population growth and the aging potential of that population. And so the opportunity that they're going to have is going to be huge over the next 20 or 30 years, which for me as a value investor is something I was just like, wow, I, I just never even thought of that. And then when I came across these charts, I thought, wow, that's that's an amazing opportunity because it doesn't just mean that uh, that this company is going to do well for the next couple of years. It means it's got the potential to do great for a long period of time and be around and have a security, I guess, because it's, it's a needed business. It's, it's a, you know, a necessary business and it's something that we're going to need. And that to me is a great place to be as an investor because you know that when you buy this particular company, there's going to be a need for it and it's going to have the opportunity to thrive if it's managed well. And this particular company is managed extremely well. And as a matter of fact, the CEO, the CFO, and the CEO have all been with the company for 19 years. And all three of them have also been in the business for 35 years. So they know what they're doing and they've been doing it for a long time. And that, and they're young enough that they will be doing it for at least another 10 or 15 years probably. So uh, all those things bode really, really well for the company. And that was, those were a couple of the reasons why I was really excited about them. Yeah, I got really excited just reading it. You know, it has all the right numbers. It has a lot of things going for it, not just on the revenue side, but also, you know, on the on the um, balance sheet side, and you have obviously that great secular trend, which I think is is very very important to consider as you look at investments potentially if if you're thinking about looking long term. So I, I think it's a it's a it's a great thing to think about. I like um, where your head's at. I liked the explanation today, and I think it's it's definitely worth it for investors. You know, I think the S and P is something around two percent exposed right now in into real estate, and so you know, if 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 an investor doesn't have any exposure whatsoever or is just interested in a beaten up sector, I think REITs can fulfill that in both of those circumstances. I would totally agree. So, your your newsletter again is Fat Pitch Fundamentals, and how can people go and and check that out 
uh, well, you simply go to einvestingforbeginnerspod.com uh, and uh, you'll find links on there under our products page for uh, the the newsletter. It's all right there. Easy, easy peasy. I'll also put a link in it here in the show notes as well. That's awesome. Yeah, I recommend people check it out. All right, folks. Well, that is going to wrap up our conversation for this evening. Uh, thank you guys for taking the time to listen. I hope you enjoyed our conversation about REITs and that you learned a thing or two because there's a great opportunity out there if you want to branch out and learn something new about an asset class you may not be familiar with. So without any further ado, I'm going to go ahead and sign us off. You guys go out there and the best with a margin of safety, emphasis on the safety. Have a great week. We'll talk to you all next week. We hope you enjoyed this content. Seven Steps to Understanding the Stock Market shows you precisely how to break down the numbers in an engaging and readable way with real-life examples. Get access today at stockmarketpdf.com. Until next time, have a prosperous day. The information contained is for general information and educational purposes only. It is not intended for a substitute for legal, commercial, and or financial advice from a licensed professional. Review our full disclaimer at einvestingforbeginners.com.